0: Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. We are from South Mountain Community Church, a multi site church with five locations in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how
1: we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get the honor of serving as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And so excited that you are here with us today. Um, We've been in season four, been having different staff on the podcast, and I'm really excited for today. Um, as we kind of wrap up the season. But before we get to that, I just want to mention a couple things to everybody here. Um one, first of all, I'm just so grateful that uh, everybody listening is is subscribed, that you're you're sharing it with a friend, um that you're leaving a review because you know we're seeing it on our end. we're We're creeping up on eleven thousand downloads. We just celebrated ten thousand downloads, not uh, just a couple weeks ago. But uh, I've seen that you guys are are listening. You're subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Um, and then you're, you're sharing it with people and, and leaving reviews. And so just thankful for that because it allows us to reach more people um, as, uh, as we have different content, different seasons with different things. Um, and so we know that, uh, that you guys are listening and, and that's, that means a lot to us. And so just keep doing that. Uh, you guys are doing great. And uh, just really thankful for... Uh, for what you guys are doing. But uh, as I said last week, we've got a special guest on the show uh, today. Um, We've been having different staff on, talking about just different things, kind of, kind of just talking about different topics with staff that are on at SMCC. And so what I want to do is bring on a, a special guest and somebody that maybe some of you know and some of you don't know. And so I want to make sure that Um, We get to know uh, this guest a little bit more. I have uh, on with me, all the way from St. George, Utah, I've got Tom Mertz, the campus pastor at our St. George campus. Tom, how are you doing today?
1: Doing really good, and I have to correct you. There's nothing special about me, Adam. I'm just numbers. <laughs> just yeah.
0: kidding. No, he's like, Tom's. Tom's a really cool guy. We've uh, we've been able to hang out on retreats and, and things like that. And uh, Tom is Tom is a great great guy. And so I was I was excited that we were able to figure out how to get you on the show uh, for this. I know it's uh, that you're a little ways off, but I was like, no, you know what? We're gonna make this happen. So. Glad to have you on, man. Have you been on on a radio or podcast before at all? Is this something something new for you?
1: I've done a lot of radio interviews, and I got to be on TV, Mike of fame here in St. George at our local station. I got to be on TV once. Nice. I don't even remember why.
0: How'd you How'd you do? Did you do good?
1: I think I did okay. It expanded my fan base by, you know, at least one, because I think my wife watched.
0: Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, like I was saying uh, to our listeners, so, you know, we are one church in many locations. We've got a campus in St. George, Utah, which I need to visit more. You know, Tom, I've lived in Utah for four years. I've come down, you know, sometimes, but I still have not been to uh, believe it or not, any of the state parks down there, not Zion, not uh, any of those. So I got to I got to make more trips down there. I'm just I'm always afraid it's going to be too hot. That's my that's my like greatest fear. Uh, I, can, I don't do the heat well.
1: Well, that's a very real fear, but uh, I can assure you some of the parks that are at higher elevations, they tend to be cooler and even Zion, you can find a place to jump into the shade. So on a 104 day, you can go cool off in the water or jump behind a rock and get out of the sun.
0: Okay, sounds good. I, I still got to do that, uh, but anyways, so you know, I always talk with uh, with Pastor Eric about just you know different guests that we have on and what to talk about. And Tom, I just I want to get to know you more. I want our listeners to get to know you more. And you've got you've got quite um, really a lot has happened in your life. A lot of. Um, different things that have gone on and, and really you know I just kind of want to start at the basics I mean so you're a pastor and, and we'll get into how long you've been a pastor um, kind of later in the episode but I mean let's just start with some of the basics how did you come to know Jesus I think that's probably one of the most you know important things that I want I want to know and I want I think our listeners might want to know too I mean how's it start how did that all start out for you
1: You know, it's kind of interesting with me. I'm one of those people, uh, I I would say that I've been spiritually curious my entire life. Some of my earliest memories, believe it or not, are trying to contemplate who and what God was. In fact, uh, I had this intense fear all the way back to kindergarten that that, um, that I was going to die and be reincarnated into one of my friends, uh, into his family as his brother because I didn't like his mother. She was mean. So all of my early childhood, I was trying to process no one had to tell me there was a God I knew from the earliest of days and my family was not a religious family. So that's just a, you know, testimony to the spiritual nature of humans. But uh, for me, there were two people in particular, like like anyone else, probably can attach, you probably can attach names, but there's two people that were very influential in talking to me about the Lord. One was a lady named Pat. Uh, she would drag me to some all sorts of churches when I was 12, 13 years old. I once had a had a group of uh, deacons at, at more of a Pentecostal style church try to perform an exorcism on me. Um, <laughs> that scared me away. I don't think I went to church for a year after that. But but she always talked to me. Aside from some of the bizarre stuff, she always told me about Jesus. And so I was I was on the hook and intrigued. And when I, I went in the navy right out of high school, and uh, one of the men that I ended up working with, he was senior to me, um, Thomas Gary Gale, Petty Officer Thomas Gary Gale we worked together every single day for a solid year. And and, uh, Thomas was a, he was a Southern Baptist, and man, he believed what he believed, but Mm -hmm. he really was kind of ahead of his time. He, he, He espoused a lot of the values, I think, that we hold to at SMCC. And he constantly challenged me, because I claimed to be a believer, I would go to a different church every single Sunday, but I did not know what the gospel was. I was trying to save myself by you know, go into churches and pay for my sins for the week. I would literally tell people that. So uh, Thomas was constantly witnessing to me. And I I don't know exactly how it is that it kicked in when it kicked in, but I I left the military, went back into the civilian life after being honorably discharged. And I went through a very rough transition back into civilian life. And and it was uh, kind of a difficult time. And I don't know, out of the blue, I just said, you know, I need to go to church. I think a girl told me that. She said, You're, you need to go to church. So I went to, I looked up this church and it was a, a Baptist church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. And all I know is that I had prayed like a, you know, the old sinner's prayer, you know, the God's simple plan of salvation, the gospel yeah. tract, Uh-huh. probably one of the most non-simple, gospel tracks that's ever been written. But I read that thing every single day and I would religiously, and I did keep religiously pray that prayer on the back without any meaning behind it. Hmm. But on on November 4th of 1989, something something was really changed inside of my heart. And I remember as I was driving to this, this uh, church for their evening service, I didn't make it to the morning service. As I was dre- driving to that church, I began just praying and and I told God, I said, you know, um, what I'm doing is not working. So, you know, I'm giving you all of me and I'm accepting all of you. So whatever that entails for my life, you have one hundred percent of me from this moment forward. And wow. that that just overnight my life absolutely began to transform. So it was the coolest thing. But wow. that's what I call my moment of faith where where I think I really truly crossed that line of faith, even if I couldn't quite uh, understand it exactly at the time.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there's, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, there's a process, uh, and that's one of our values. I didn't even mean to do that, but there's a process in which God changes us from the inside out, and that's kind of, you know, maybe the start for you and, and, and continued on. Um, so give us a little bit more. So, I mean, you were you were in the Navy um, trying to figure out kind of faith and religion, Um, you know, trying to figure things out. What was was kind of like your young adult life, you know, give us some, some backstory on that.
1: So I was pretty good at sinning. Um, (laughs) Whatever, whatever expertise I lacked, the military honed into me. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you don't have to, it's not hard to convince me at the time that my life was seriously lacking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, aside from the fact that I, I, I just knew there was a god. I mean, like I said, all my all of my life I knew there was a god. There was also something very troubling within me because I knew no matter how much I tried to convince others that I was okay with God, I knew I wasn't okay with God. I couldn't explain it to you, hmm. but there was just this, you know, I maybe almost a I wouldn't say a constant sense of dread, hmm. but there was a certain certainly a very deep concern in 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 my life. And so the the more i felt inadequate uh, the more i tried to perform you know i i, I right. would try like i i seriously tried but i was horrible at trying to be a christian when i wasn't a christian <laughs> you know i wasn't good at spirituality you know if, yeah. it, 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 the idea of self-salvation i guess that's what i was getting at i was trying to save myself throughout those years but but right. I, I was horrible at it so but you know you can't save yourself anyway that was the hardest turtle for me to overcome. So that's kind of where I was. And uh, I think one of the really big eye openers for me is when when I was in the Navy, I, I was involved in, in combat and uh, my ship was engaged by an enemy force. And, and um, we came very close to, you know, buying the farm as they might say. So uh, I began seriously contemplating you know, my, my pending mortality. And so that moment that was April 18th, 1988, man, that was just a, that was like a stake in the ground kind of moment mm-hmm. where from that moment forward, I I couldn't live under the, the pretense that someone else is going to die. It's not going to be me. So I mm-hmm. lived with that fear,
0: yeah. just
1: solidly driven home. Like someday you're going to die mm-hmm. and you are going to stand before God. And that, that was a big driving factor.
0: Wow. And you were, I mean, at that time you were young, right? I mean, uh, how old were you at that time? Uh, 19. Wow. So for a 19 year old to start really, you know, I mean, that's a big, you know, life experience for you at 19 years old to really be thinking, you know, this, this could be my last day here on earth possibly. Um, so I had you start contemplating a, a lot with faith and with spirituality. So, wow, that's, that's crazy. And then, and then kind of go on, you know, so, I know you went to um, uh, to college eventually. Am I, am I right? You went, to, you went to school. I mean, what prompted you to kind of go that route or to do that, um, you know, to go from the Navy? Did you take a break in between or what did that look like?
1: So when I got out of the Navy, I, I, I got a job working at a company in Madison Heights, Michigan, that was very highly uh, t- technology based, uh, a, a lot of uh, engineering involved and they, they built machinery that was installed in like the big three, you know, GM Chrysler Ford and places like that. And I, I just was absolutely astonished at, at machinery. So I made a decision in the first few months after I got out of the Navy that I wanted to be an electrical engineer. Mm. So I began the process. I started taking college classes, um, pre-engineering classes in, in at uh, I believe it was Macomb community college in, in Macomb County, Michigan. And, and really discovered I loved education. i I was a horrible student in high school, but i <laughs> I, I really did have the ability to to learn and and uh, I was ace in you know pre-engineering math classes and stuff. Wow. So I was more than happy to to go that route. but uh, I don't remember exactly where where the the shift came, but it was pretty early on in you know college career that the idea, you know, I'm a new believer and and the idea started popping up in my mind, just this idea that I could be a pastor. And I thought, absolutely not. Like, Mm. I, you know, I I thought if you can't do anything else in the world, God calls you to be a pastor or something like that. That was my mindset (laughs) at the time. Like I'm going to be somebody, I'm going to be an engineer. And, and, um, but I just couldn't shake it. You know, for me, it just, this idea, it just became a nagging idea. It never went away night or day. Hmm. And, and so I finally just made a decision after, after literally nine months of agonizing uh, with just this internal turmoil about being a pastor, I finally just said, you know, I'm going to do it. Hmm. And um, we, we just happened to have a, a, a Bible college, a Baptist Bible college about 40 miles from where I lived. And so Talked to my pastor at the time and uh, got enrolled and started classes over there and shifted all my credits from I had a lot of credits from military time and then also from Macomb Community College. So I began my training in the ministry.
0: Wow, yeah, it's interesting, Tom. You know, I don't know if you ever got this. Um, so I don't get it as much anymore, but you know, people will will come to you know find out what I what I do and and I and I've picked up you know sometimes their ideas. Well, if you're a pastor, either. Um the question I get a lot is, um oh so, so your dad must have been a pastor right? like it must be like the you know, quote <laughs> the family business or people think like well you couldn't really do anything else. you weren't really good at anything else I mean like just being a pastor like you might you know you just might have just dropped into that. but yeah, for you, just trying to think, man, I mean, you kind of knew in your faith and then um just couldn't get away with that feeling of like you know what if what if what if I could help people um know who jesus is as as, as a you know, as a profession, I guess is what you could say as a vocation, but, um, that's great. That's awesome to, to know, man. Um, yeah, and no, I've, I've never
1: even, you know, I've never even thought of it as a feeling. I've always said, it's more like a fact hmm. It just, you know, call it what it is, you know, but can be, you know, ate some garlic post toasties for breakfast and couldn't <laughs> shake the the heartburn. But there was just like this fact in the back of my mind that, that I couldn't get around and, hmm. it, and it was centered around me being in the ministry as a pastor.
0: Yeah. So, excellent wow so let's let's kind of fast forward a little bit so i mean people um i mean and, and i know this and we kind of heard from your story so you're from michigan is that what, that's what you would say right yes yeah
1: i was born in detroit
0: Ooh in man
1: <laughs> cl- wow second claim to think.
0: yeah yeah so now like full circle how did you end up in utah and 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 saint george i mean where does that all come from
1: well, there's there's a ton of water under the bridge, but uh, the the short story is I was I was in school. I I started I started at this this uh, at Midwestern uh, Baptist College. I started there in 1992. I actually put off my school for a year. I stepped out of school, finished a semester, stepped out until the next uh, fall. I got married to to my wife, and then enrolled in school and and uh, you know. Everything was going great at, at that point in time in my life. And in 93, and I might be off, I'm 52, so the brain don't work so good anymore. But uh, in 93, by this time, with all the credits I had, I would have been considered, I think, the beginning of my junior year. So I was trying to cram four years into six because I was working full-time, married full-time, father full-time. So yeah, yeah. I was cramming cramming the four into six model. But I I, I remember my church back in back in sterling heights i was still at that baptist church my church had a missions conference and through throughout the course of the week they were highlighting church planting in the united states and the the whole focus was church planting and and part of that focus was utah and interestingly enough the whole time that i was in 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 school we we, you know we had these ministerial classes preacher boy classes whatever you want to call them but we always had people coming in and talking to us and I don't know why, but for some reason, Utah was frequently mentioned, probably once a quarter, Utah mm-hmm. was mentioned, always in the negative. Like <laughs> I would hear things, I would hear these pastors come in and say, you know, me and Dr. So and so went on this trip when we were in when we were in college, and you could just sense the oppression, you know. Mm-hmm. So so what to me it was like this dark, sinister oppressive place. And in my mind, I somehow, I I guess I wasn't all that good at geography. So I kind of saw Utah as just, you know, a version of the Sahara Desert, just rolling sand dunes everywhere. But um, anyhow, I ended up throughout the course of that week, they're talking about all these different locations to plant churches. And somebody actually came and began talking about Utah, but they talked about Utah as a place of opportunity. They, they talked about Utah as a place of beauty. They talked about hmm. Utah as a place where, where people needed to hear the the, the gospel and, yeah. and, and where the gospel was, you know, readily received in many instances. And I thought, well, that's not the Utah I've heard, hmm. but there again, I just, I, I'm in Bible college. I'm going into the ministry. I'm contemplating what I'm going to do when I get done. And, and I'm a little bit older than all the other guys, you know, I'm like the grandpa at college because I want the military first. So I'm a little bit older than all the freshmen and, you know, juniors. I'm, I'm older than most of the seniors at this point in time. So I'm, I'm contemplating where do I go do, do ministry when, when I finish here. And it just seemed to make perfect sense to go to Utah. So huh. on the final day of that missions conference, which was a Friday, I went forward, told the guy that was preaching. I said, "You know, I'd like to commit myself to going to Utah," and and that was in, I think, uh, January of of ninety three. Wow. And and so uh, prayed, committed it to God, and never turned my back on it.
0: Wow. So, um, so, have you been living in Utah for? Is that? Am I doing the math right? Thirty years. No, I moved to Utah in
1: 99, you know, the other part of the other part of my story. I don't know if you want me to share or not, but uh, after after so after January of 93, uh, my my wife, um, she she had we had a we had a baby, uh, you know, like a five month old baby daughter. And my wife had always had this lesion on her leg, like, like kind of right, right where your, your leg meets your torso. Mm. Um, normally a part of your body, doesn't see the light of the day. And she, um, always, you know, doctors always said, if it ever changes, let us know, we'll, we'll, Mm. we'll, we'll we'll, we'll remove it. But it was just a black peanut shaped lesion Mm -hmm. flat as can be. And in January of 93, right about the time that I committed to God that I would, I would like to go start a church in utah right about that time that lesion changed and they Mm -hmm. said it could have been because of the pregnancy hormones and whatnot but well as it turns out they removed it and it was um it was melanoma cancer so they Mm -hmm. told us it wasn't malignant they said it was less than 0.75 millimeter never worry about it it's not going to come back so we moved on with our life i continued with school i got into you know got into 1990 95 um my i had a son my son w- was uh born in 94 but in the last like 2 months before my son was uh due to be delivered the my wife noticed that she had lymph nodes in that same region mm. that were getting larger they were the the so the doctors gave her antibiotics, they they watched them, they gave her a 10 day course of antibiotics within 10 days, the, the lymph nodes went from being, you know, like, like the size of a, you know, half a peanut to a whole peanut to a marble, and then to a like a walnut. And oh, wow. so um, became very clear, something, something, something bad is probably happening. And hmm. it, as it turned out, it was a reoccurrence of that melanoma, and a classic reoccurrence year and a half. And so they, they went ahead and induced labor for my son because, um, the cancer cannot attack my son, but it can, it can attack the support structure.
0: Sure.
1: So, so she had a very aggressive form of uh, malignant melanoma stage four, and they did everything they could to, you know, remove it and give her comfort. But the writing was on the wall. There was no, there, there's no cure. There was no coming back from that unless God did a miracle, which we certainly prayed for. And, um, Hmm she, she uh, passed away in, in January of, of 95. Wow. And so I ended up at a kind of in limbo in my life. I, I had already mm-hmm. had to step out of school in order to take care of my son, you know my, my wife and, and kids and then my wife died. And so I had a, um, I had a two-year- old and a four month old. Wow. and school was very much so on the back burner. And, and so even though even though I had believed strongly you know in, in making this commitment to go and plant a church, It's just at that point in time, you know, you do the math on it. Yeah, That's the furthest thing from your concern. Yeah, And so I went through a period of time of just, you know, mere survival. And I don't, I didn't get the support I was promised from from my church. And Mm. I, I, I actually found out like, and I don't say that negatively because I think I understand it now. A lot of times people make promises when someone's passing away, but they feel so uncomfortable in the aftermath of it. It's really easy to say yeah. to, you know, a woman who's dying, we're gonna help your husband. But then I, I just noticed right away people did not feel comfortable around me. It, mm-hmm. Even in my church, I we had like the we didn't have small groups, but we had we had big groups. So we had like the young adult. Yeah. And and I would go to this young adult group on Sunday morning and it it just I was like a pariah, you know, mm. like pig pen. Nobody wanted to be near me. So Wow. very early on after my wife died i started hanging out with the college and career class because college people to this day they're chill they're like yeah, whatever man <laughs> hang out with us yeah. and uh and then um and i got these babies too and they're getting passed around like kittens <laughs> at, at a pet store you know <laughs> so everybody's on one hand they're really sad but on the other hand all these cute little babies and yeah so i just i found acceptance in this group i started hanging out with with uh with a college and career class, and mm. um, eventually, you know, through that through that class, I I, I met Amy, uh, who is my wife.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we we met, and and uh, we actually kind of we just celebrated our 25th anniversary, but we kind of went back nice. to the scene of the crime because in Jan in uh, June of '95, we did a mission trip. Our, our that group did a mission trip, so I dumped my kids off on, I don't remember who at this time. Um, but I dumped him off on somebody for a whole week and went to Mexico City. Wow! And you know it's all kind of the Baptist way. So the girls over here, the guys are over here, and <laughs> only there. Yep. But as we went sightseeing, I always somehow ended up getting paired up with Amy, hmm. and that was really soon after my wife died. So I wasn't even looking to date.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. But it was really good to have this friend, and and I got I got my wallet stolen on. On the, on the subway going into Mexico City and Amy ended up fronting me money for the rest of the trip.
0: Really? So it was kind of funny.
1: Yeah, it's really, and, and so we just <laughs> had our 25th anniversary and we went back to the scene of the crime. So we actually, Amy and I spent three days in Mexico City and then went on to Puerto Vallarta
0: wow. as our celebration.
1: But that kind of, that by the end of that summer, Amy and I were, uh, you know, we were dating, getting to know each other better, mm-hmm. dating a little bit. A lot of people thought, oh, it's too early. No, you know, some people like, why'd you wait nine months? You got, you got two kids. They need a mother, but we just got to know each other and started dating. And, you know, before too long, we, we got engaged. And once, once we got married, you know, I had to go back to the idea of finishing school,
0: Sure,
1: which I did. We moved down South and went to a university down South as a transient student finished school. And, and I never told Amy about going to Utah. That was the funny thing. <laughs> and a lot of stuff in my life happens during, you know, during sermons, like somebody's preaching and you're like, Hmm, thought comes to your mind. Like,
0: yeah,
1: I should consider that one day, this guy from Arizona preached a message on the need for church planters in the Southwestern United States. And man, it's like, everything just came flooding back. And, and and I, and I, I, after that I kept to myself for a few days and then another pastor came in at, at this university and, um, to the preacher boy class said pretty much very similar things. And, and uh, then, then another guy came in and he preached a sermon on how God gives you a vision, destroys your vision, but then he resurrects the vision so that what you accomplish is of him and not of yourself. Hmm. And by that time I was totally leaning in. So I called Amy and I said, "Hey, like this is payphone day." So, so, so Google that if you don't know what a payphone is. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I called her between classes because at this university you you get you would you'd have to go see the dean of men if you showed up late. It was one of those kind of places. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I called really quick and I told Amy, "I'm like 93 Matt Record preaching, commit to God, go out west, start a church. What do you think about that, Utah?" It's like pretty, And and I got to go by. Hung up the phone. Well, when I came home that day, because I I had to work too, so I went to school full-time. Then I went to work, you know, for an eight-hour shift. And when I got home later that day, Amy had gone to the library and she had, I'm not kidding you, Adam, she must have had a hundred books laid out, uh, all on the southwestern United States and, and the the majority of them on Utah. So long story short, um, she she was leaning in, I was leaning in, and it's just one of those things where uh God just opened a door like we were mm-hmm. feeling discomforted. I had already started so um, you know seminary classes. I was taking classes. I could have continued doing that, but just felt so uncomfortable. You know, like like the nest was just you know poking you everywhere, and we felt like it was time to time to move on. And yeah. no sooner than we said let's explore this, it's just one door after another after another after another opened up. Wow. And that was ninety that was ninety six into ninety seven. And, um, by, by the end of summer, 1997, we were raising resources financially to be able to come out here and start a church, but we moved here. That's the long answer. We moved here in 99. So, uh, June 30th of 1999. Wow.
0: So, uh, so there's, there's so much there. Um, and, and, and if you don't mind, I kind of want to rewind just a little bit. Cause we kind of, sure. you know, we know we're I said over a lot. <laughs> there's a lot there. I mean, I think for some of our listeners, um, you know, they could be wondering themselves. You know, you know, for for a guy who's who's new to faith, for a guy that's that's human, obviously. Um, um, you you say, okay, so I'm going to go to Utah, and eventually that you know that kind of comes to fruition, and and now and now you're here. But uh, you know, not long after that, uh, you know, your wife has this this terminal cancer, and I mean, for you, did that. Did, that's, did that have come, anything come into your life of like, man, did I, you know, did I make the wrong choice? Did I, did I make God, you know, angry? Did I, is there something in my life that I'm doing? Like, did any of those kind of, you know, somewhat religious thoughts come back into your mind? Or were you like, no, like, I know, you know, that this is not related to that. I mean, take me through that. That's a big thing to, to go through. You know,
1: for one thing, I'm a firm believer, like people, I've had a lot of people say to me, Adam, say, like, I don't know how you went through that, because I could have never done it. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, I don't know, maybe it sounds a little cliched. I don't mean it that way or dismissively when people say that. But mm-hmm. um, the thought that comes to my mind is I, I don't think anybody has that strength. I think there's things in mm-hmm. life when, you, you know, what we believe it's a lie when people say God will never give you more than you can handle. Sure. But I can tell you for a fact, God gives you more than you can handle. But he but he doesn't give you more than he can handle. Mm. And I I have that mentality going into this. And, and today, like I, I don't think I have the strength to go through something like that today. Not like I'm volunteering, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think God gives you what you need in the moment. It's part of his grace. God can mm. grace you with his with his strength to endure. What really helped me is I, I had a really solid foundation of, of theology that I was building underneath me. I listened as I, the, the job I had, I drove all day long. Mm. And so from the moment I, I became a follower of Jesus Christ and, you know, November 4th of 1989, I started listening to what, what they called in Michigan, the Christian talk station. And so I was listening to the best of the best, you know, to there's just the greater, greatest, you know, back then he's older now, but you know, pre, pre, uh, pre Andy Stanley, I was listening to Charles Stanley and Chuck Swindoll and, you know, even some, some Chuck Smith, um, you know, Dr. Anthony Evans down in Texas. I listened to hour after hour after hour of solid teaching. And so I think for me, you know, it's, Having the strength of God and then just the underpinning of solid theology, you hmm. know, to, to to kind of gird you up. I never, I never felt like, and I, and I don't say this arrogantly, but I, I just never felt like I had the right to ask God why.
0: Hmm. And, and I don't
1: belittle people who ask God why, sure. but to me, um, I remember one day I thought to myself, well, why not?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, what what makes one person? any more special than another, you know, Mm -hmm. should I consider that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I get special treatment. And, and, and so that just, you know, that those thoughts that never came to my mind, I just, you know, God is God. He does what he does. We live in a fallen world. And,
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and
1: uh, you know, he's promised to restore all things someday. But in the meantime, it's just life. So that that was kind of what was going through my mind,
0: man. What, what humility and um, just, I'm just so glad that you were at you know, where you were at that time, you know, how different could that have been for you, um, you know, if you hadn't put your 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 faith and assurance in Jesus, you know, that could have been so catastrophic for you in the long run, who knows what could have happened, but you had that mentality of, yeah, that's, I mean, and, and that's a very mature mentality, not everybody has that, and we're not belittling people who go through that and say, you yeah. know, why me, but, oh, man, that's...
1: It, and I would, if I could jump in there, I would add this too, um, I might... I don't know that I would say I had humility on that part. Mm. Um, I, I, I kind of was an, as a believer, I was developing some legalistic tendencies mm. and, you know, um, it sounds funny to say this, but like I had a, a friend of mine, he would always say that Christianity came easy for him, hard for his wife. And I think what he meant was like living, you know, living the Christian life. Yeah. But for me, it, it kind of came easy and because of that, I began, you know, developing a legalistic attitude towards it, feeling like, you know, I'm special.
0: Right. <laughs> so
1: even if I had, even if at that period of time, I, you know, I went through this, uh, this, this humbling experience, I would almost say, um, I'm probably using the word incorrectly, but there was a sense in which I went through it was humiliating, but in a good way,
0: sure,
1: uh, because it took me down quite a few notches. It, re- it really, truly did. It, it no. tore me down and re- and God reconstructed me through it. And I would not have the the ability, I think, to to empathetically connect with people and teach mm-hmm. like I do today. Because that, you know, if I have a gift, if I you know listen to what people say mm-hmm. um, when I teach, people say it's like you're having a conversation with me, like you understand sure. me, you've been where I've been, and that to me is is the direct connection. To to the experiences that I had. Yeah. So uh, I was by no means uh, any kind of a superhero. Um,
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: I just had this idea that God's going to do what God's going to do, um, but I had a lot to learn in the process too.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, hey, thank you for sharing that with us. I know that's probably not something that's always easy to talk about, but I th- I think our listeners appreciate that that openness and and vulnerability into that that part of your life. So, thank you for sharing that. So. Let's kind of let's kind of go back now so to 1999 you said basically so uh did you guys have an organization you were working with or like what how how do you just pick up and move to a new place and just say hey we're gonna we're gonna plant a church here
1: so we we did it the way the independent Baptists do it throughout the Midwest we um, signed up with a mission board and we went out under open door Baptist missions we I traveled to I don't even know close to 100 churches over a year and a half every single week we were packing everything up in the van and driving somewhere and i tried to set it up regionally so we we were all over the eastern seaboard and then down south and then also uh, made it out to colorado i think once even california but i'm not sure it was very very blurry lots of driving um but we we had to raise our own support so when we arrived here in 1999, we had just enough monthly support to uh, keep us above, you know, keep us fed and mm-hmm. bills paid and a little bit of money to eventually put towards ministry. Wow. And that's what we did.
0: And you started, and did you start in St. George? Is that where that started? or? Yeah, I did
1: a two year internship at a church across town with the pastor who actually spoke at that missions conference. That was one of the doors that opened up. So I got an opportunity to, you know, not just, you know, jump in, you know, close on, so to speak, into the deep, deep waters of Utah ministry, I got a chance to see it, nice. and and to, you know, to learn from it to learn some things to do learn some things not to do. Yeah. But we did that for a period of uh, almost two years. And uh, it was all agreed upon ahead of time, we ended up uh, starting we our plan was to start sometime at the two year mark to to start a church here in St. George.
0: Wow, which
1: which we did in, in November of the first Sunday of November of 2001,
0: yeah. which
1: was post, like very early post 9-11. Yes. Really interesting time to be sticking your toes in the water now trying to start a church.
0: Yeah, I was just talking to somebody the other day. Um, now, when 9-11 happened, um, this is, well, it's not it's not embarrassing to say, but I was I was nine years old when that happened, so I was young. But I remember, you know, there was so much uncertainty. I remember on the news for months afterwards was, all they could talk about, you know, was, was that event. Um, I remember my parents just before 9-11 uh, bought a house and were trying to sell their house. And I remember my dad being stressed out, like, is the market going to crash? You know, we're going to be stuck with two mortgages, you know? So all that time is very uncertain, uh, you know, starting November of, of 2001. Um, and so what did that, uh, what did that look like? And were there many other churches in St. George at the time or what, what kind what did the landscape kind of look like there?
1: you know, seemed like there were a handful of churches trying to get planted. And, you know, that's just, I didn't know at the time how difficult that is, but, yeah. but I've come to realize since then that a lot of, a lot of churches that have tried to start here, just they end up closing their doors.
0: Right, uh, Right. So where did you start? Like when you met, where did you first start meeting as a church?
1: We first started meeting at uh, Sandstone Elementary School. Okay. I had a very difficult time finding anyone that would allow us to, to, to use their space. Sure. So we, we, we couldn't even get local principals from schools to return uh, a phone call to us. Wow. But the principal of Sandstone Elementary School, uh, I called him up and explained what we were doing. And he said, why don't you come down here and meet with me? So I went down to the school and and told him what what we were looking for, and he said, "I would love to partner with you in that." And uh, he wow. opened up their audit just this their auditorium, in the hallways. It's all we had: auditorium, the hallway, and access to the bathrooms. You know, so
0: I, I love hearing that because I think Tom, people can look at um, you know maybe there's people that have started attending SMCC just within the last couple of years, and they look and they go. Man, I, I go to St. George, and what a beautiful facility you guys have. Or maybe they go to one of our other campuses, uh, maybe like Draper or South Jordan, whoever, and they're just like, oh, this, this building is fantastic. It's so nice. But there's humble beginnings for for churches. I mean, just you don't even have a permanent space to meet. <laughs> I mean, that's where it starts <laughs> a lot of the time.
1: It, it was um, like I've always said to people, I, I think the success of St. George has very little to do with me. Um, you know, where we are now as a campus has very little to do with me and everything to do with with God. I think mm. God just determined that this was going to happen. Sure. I've I, I just firmly believe that because we, we have always had multiple mitigating factors against our success. And even that original setting, we, we you got this big auditorium and you can split it in half Mm-hmm. but we have no commitment of people other than my family to our very first service. Oh, man. And so we, we're, I'm trying to figure out how to set this up because I'm not living under any pretense that, you know, 200 people are going to show up for our first service. Right. We, we were doing the parachute plant. That's what they call it. Uh, to, you know, a, a husband and wife, a Bible, and you jump out of the airplane, land in town and start a church with your wow. family, you know? So, um, we had 14 people in the first service but how do you position 14 people so they don't feel like they're in a, I don't know, like a hundred by 60 foot room.
0: Yes. I know what you're (laughs) saying.
1: It's got a 30 foot tall ceiling. Yeah. So we, uh, we ended up putting everything tucked way into the corner and, uh, they only charged us 30 bucks a Sunday. That's all they charged us. That's nice. So, so we had the resources to do this and, I had eventually built a little eight by eight stage that we would put together and take apart every Sunday, but our music was run off a CD player. Our sound system yes. was uh, initially my radio. And then the the principal gave us access to their sound system. And we were in the, so oh, we were able God. to put a microphone in which would then echo because it went to speakers on both sides of that.
0: Oh yeah. Curtain. The auditorium. But, yeah. Um,
1: wow. Yeah. And in and our nursery well, we didn't really have a nursery. We had young kids. If you were, you know, a toddler up to whatever age you were out in the hallway with, with Amy, my wife led that. And, um, not that we had too many, too many kids, but, uh, that, that's, that's how we began.
0: So from humble beginnings of, you know, coming in, getting, getting some, some mentorship and figuring things out there into a school. Um, and then I know that you guys eventually, if I'm recalling correctly, you guys eventually moved in, was it, I don't know if a warehouse is the right room or was it, what what was the next space you guys kind of moved into as you grew?
1: So that was, so we started in 2001 and then interestingly enough, the next big thing on our radar, we, we wanted, I wanted to get a building. I was looking at buildings or something we could purchase to, to convert uh, that that's what a lot of people do in Utah. They buy like a house converted into a church, but yeah. that's kind of small thinking. But at the time, that you know, Saint George was, you know, almost half the size it is right now, under a hundred thousand people, yeah. and so uh, didn't seem like we were going to need as much space as we have today. Anyway, we started looking, and some deals were falling apart. We, we I, I didn't even know if we'd get a loan, but we were trying, and then we, interestingly enough. We found this land. We found five acres of land, and it was out in the direction at the time the sticks, but it was the direction that everything was going to be growing. Yeah. And so, being that we couldn't find something to a, a place to move into or something to build, we went ahead and um, we bought this land because everything else had fallen through. Figured, yeah. well, we'll just keep setting up and taking down over at that at the elementary school, and that was that was in the summer. Yeah of 2003. And then I was in Michigan in the spring of maybe late winter, early spring of 2004. And I got a phone call from the pastor of the Calvary Chapel. And he said, Hey, we're looking to break our lease, our buildings done. And you guys, you know, if you're Hmm. interested, um, you you know, you guys could, could, could consider this building. And um, so after talking to him about it we we just decided let's see if we can do it but the rent on the building they were paying 1700 a month we ended up getting a lease on the building the 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 warehouse space as is like we took it from them as is and we got it for i think we ended up at 1900 or 2000 mm-hmm. a month which which was a doable rate yeah. you know we had the resources to pay for that so, but we didn't have any money to fix anything up so oh everything that was broke remained broken the carpet remained stained um, you know you name it
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. we ran it in there yeah so and what and at that time you know what um, what did uh, what did this and remind me of the name of this church plant again I, I don't recall
1: so when we first started and we're coming up on 20 years this November when mm-hmm. we first started we called it desert Springs Baptist Church
0: okay um, yeah.
1: I'm classically trained baptist preacher I, <laughs> my first church i attended was a baptist church yeah after i became a believer so we started what we knew
0: yeah 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 and so now you know i'm just i'm just trying to you know one understands and again listeners i don't even know all this so i'm trying to you know kind of glean from yeah. this as well so now you're you're in a warehouse um you, you're you're kind of rolling here and then you know where where's the connection to south mountain community church and to paul roby our lead pastor like where does that all come into play
1: you know, uh, no sooner than we started the church, I, I started to kind of break with the only way of ministry I've ever known, mm-hmm. which which was that you know just a little bit more. I would say the legalistic side of things. And when I started the church, it, it was relatively easy. People just came, not not in droves, but they were coming. They were giving. Mm-hmm. Um, we had financial resources that we, we weren't in any way hurting, but. We weren't reaching people like I wanted to. I I had this idea, we're going to come to Utah and we're going to reach indigenous population. And it just seemed to me like that wasn't happening. Mm. And we had some, just some bizarre, like I, I came to realize, like, if you don't provide as a pastor, if you don't provide vision, mm-hmm. people fill in the blank themselves. Sure. And for whatever reason, you, you know, in, in, the, in the Baptist movement that I came from, nobody really talked you know, mission, vision, values, they, they talked great commission. That was it. Right. And so I, I didn't really cast much vision for anything other than just, you know, running weekly services and preaching and fellowshipping and, and trying to reach out to some degree, but I, I got disenfranchised increasingly. So, mm-hmm. and, and some of it had to do with just the past and the legalism That led to some changes. We quickly dropped the name Baptist as soon when we moved into the building. We never called ourselves Baptist again. We we became Desert Springs Church. Uh, But then I started thinking, well, you know, Desert. I understand that maybe has a negative connotation. You know, we're the spring in the dry land, and you're kind of judging the land that you're trying to start a church in. (laughs) And so we dropped the name Desert, and we just became the Springs Church. And at the time that we were the Springs Church. Is when I really became disenfranchised. It was. It was the. We were transitioning into the summer of 2005, and I just did not like the church. And I was the pastor, and I had started it, and I was 100 guilty for what it had become. Sure. And, and at that time, though, we were doing great. Like we really were. Uh, so I went to a purpose-driven church conference, and when I was at this purpose-driven church conference. Uh, to me it was just like this massive eye opening moment I, and and i suddenly realized to me i started looking at a church as a computer frame right but it needs an operating system yeah. and i'm trying to operate on an old version of dos but but i'm not a programmer so i don't know how to do it and i realized sure. i need some kind of an operating system that begins and ends all at once with you know mission vision and values and i found that at the purpose driven church conference and If you've ever been to those conferences, you know, as well as I do, the, they always tell you, do not go make changes too fast. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In my mind, we've only, it's, it's 2005. We, 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 we laid the keel on this thing and, you know, not even four years ago, like there is no, there's nothing to be concerned about with changes because we haven't been around long enough to develop tradition. That was my mindset. Yeah. And uh, I I very quickly realized I was wrong about that. And just the fact that I went to a purpose driven church conference caused problem, people were circulating, you know, stuff, all sorts of emails, you know, printing them out. And, and, uh, you know, how that is, like, back in that day, you googled Rick Warren's name, you had to go 10 pages deep before you got to, uh, got to anything good about him. So all this (laughs) stuff circulating. And uh, long story short, um, we went through what I call difficult summer of 2005. We had a lot of people leave the church. Mm. Um, we had an attempted coup. I had I had a retired preacher now passed away who got up and while I was on vacation to Michigan, he beat on this pulpit, just beat the thing to death with his hand. And, and in a squeaky old voice, he um, let everybody know, and this is why I'm never coming back. Okay, so that oh inspired some gosh. people. He'd, And then another guy um, tried to um, outright take over the church and have me ousted. And so I came back from vacation and one of our deacon board met with me in Cedar City before I got to St. George and said, hey, we haven't exactly been telling you what's happened since you were gone because we didn't want to ruin your vacation. So when I got back at the end of the summer, it became apparent. You know that that uh, the changes that I was doing weren't weren't being received all that well. Uh, mm. I will say this: it was naive, naivety and youthfulness, you know, that I think caused me to make the bad decisions and not listen to good 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 wisdom. Sure, you know the wisdom of don't make changes fast. Um, but in the end, they were they were people that would have never grown. The people that left were people that would have never grown with the organization. They would have Mm. never gone with the changes that we needed to make to reach people. But in the midst of all of that, I meet these people and they know Paul Roby somehow. And I got connected to Paul Roby. And, and, uh, actually when we were coming home from vacation, I was going to go meet Paul Roby, but an explosives truck, uh, somewhere along the way blew up and took out, put a, put a hundred foot hole or something like that in, in the road. And so we were coming the back roads of Utah. We could not cut diagonally up to salt Lake and, oh and visit gosh. Paul. So wow. I didn't get to see him for another month, but when I, I finally got a chance, I spoke to him on the phone and and I met with him and Ginny at, at the village Inn. we sat okay. down uh, and drank some coffee and ate some pie and just began talking. And I realized this guy, Paul Roby knows how to do ministry in the state of Utah. Hmm. He, he, he knows what I don't know. Hmm. And, you know, and I'm one of those people, I'm very pragmatic. I don't, I don't care for accolades or, you know, I don't need a whole lot of acknowledgement or anything like that. I just like to see things work. The thing that really makes me happy is to see things work. And so Paul began instructing me on things that I could do. And, uh, I've, I've kind of shared it this way. It's like together in the fall of 2005, Paul helped me pound a stake in the ground and we tied off what remained of the, what remained of the church. And Mm. then Paul just, he discipled me. He poured his life into me and, Mm. and man, the SMCC began pouring resources into St. George when we were just a a little church trying to, you know, trying to crawl back from a, a difficult summer.
0: Sure. And
1: that was a turning point. And from that point on, You know, that was 05. From that point on, it took a while to get momentum. But once Mm -hmm. we once we caught the momentum, Adam, it just never went away.
0: Wow. That's so that's so interesting to hear. And um, and then I'm trying to think, was it when did you officially then when did it officially become um, a campus of SMCC? I'm not even sure if I know the exact year of that or what time frame since then.
1: Yeah, the the official you know the documents were legal merger merger documents uh, merger documents, and that happened on January first of two thousand and nine. We had a soft uh, start in in September of two thousand and eight. That's where that's where uh, Paul sent uh, Phil Weeb down to work with me. He mm-hmm. came in as as you know an associate pastor working with me, mm-hmm. and I think at that time we were. We were running about 100 coming out of the summer, about 165 mm-hmm. in, in average attendance. But with Phil came down, and I man, man, just just having another person to, yeah. to work with in industry yeah. because at that point, it still had all been um, me. I was the only staff member. Right. And, right. and uh, <laughs> but having another person come in, and take that load, and share it and carry the burden, it's like two people can do so much more than one. Yeah. And, by Jan, man when we come out of our su- our what we call the winter slump <laughs> you know when everybody's coming back from vacation and yeah. new years yep. so by the third week of january we had gone from 265 or from 165 up into the 225 range and nice. not not the numbers tell you everything mm-hmm. but when you see that kind of rapid growth i mean that that was the the spike in the momentum that that's wow. where it really began
0: wow and
1: and uh but there again uh, the reason I wanted—you know—Paul asked me. I was asked, like, what do you want? Do you want a worship leader? Do you want a worship pastor? You, you know, what do you want to—you a, 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 know—youth, anything like that? College career? What? What can we provide for you? I wanted someone to help carry the load. So I figured we could get volunteers to continue balancing out all those other things, those other areas. Yeah. But, um, to, to, to have someone that understood the SMCC way mm-hmm. better than I did, because at that point in time, it was, you know, much like it is today, it's a document, but it was a, a little bit more eclectic. It was, it was yeah. in the process of being formed, you know, forged in fire, literally, <laughs> uh, but to be able to put that stuff into practice, it, and to me that that's the success.
0: Yeah, And yeah. That's
1: what I've tried to tell so many other pastors. You know, people say, "How do you guys do it?" It's like, well, number one, obviously, it's God. but yeah. That's a little cliche because everybody could, you know, everybody invokes God for the work that they <laughs> do could out here. That.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's get, you know, it's like that U2 song, "Get Out of Your Own Way." Yeah. Uh, sometimes you got to get out of God's way. I think there's things that God wants to do but the way that we do ministry becomes a tremendous hurdle. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, We become the hurdle, you know, we, we become the obstacle, we become the bottleneck and it's amazing how with a handful of tweaks and twists, you can go from, you know, being stagnant, um, not saying we were stagnant, but any church I think in Utah can go from being stagnant to getting on, on, on a road to, to growth.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. I love hearing stories, you know, like that. And, Or maybe even if there's listeners on right now that haven't um, gone and maybe listened to all these episodes, really season one and season two, you know, cover a lot of what Tom's referring to in the SMCC way and the vision and, and the values and those things. So you go back, you know, if you haven't listened to those already and hear those, but...
1: Yeah, go listen to episode one. If you haven't watched episode one, well, I guess it's episode two. Episode one is really a one-minute introduction, but go listen <laughs> to that very first podcast. Yeah. You know, the yeah. the idea of SMCC, a new idea for Utah. I th- I, that's a great podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're we're coming up on, on the end of our time, Tom, and so I was just trying to think of how to, you know, kind of... Put a good bow on this. And you know, you and I, we could talk for hours about this. There's so much we could we could discuss with this. Um, but you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, just personally, um, you know, what I continue to see in, in St. George at that campus is just so incredible. There's there's incredible growth happening, so many baptisms that that have happened over the you know, last, you know, year or so. Um, just seeing your staff really come together. It's been it's been cool to see. And I mean so from all that, you know what is it what does it mean for you as you know as listeners here say and here say from the stage you know to be you know one church in many locations to share those those visions and vision and values and things like that What does that mean to to not um, to not be you know alone in this but to say you know you've got you've got this this group of people that are on this mission you know pursuing the same thing what does mm-hmm. that mean for you?
1: You know, for me, it means the world, because in order to do what we're doing, I had to give up my support structure. Hmm. So I, I willfully left our, our mission board. And, and when I when I did that, a lot of churches that supported me, um, we, we broke our support. We, we didn't go crazy or anything like that, but that was part of the disruptions that took place. Sure. So we, we ended up in 2006, January 1st, 2006, 100% on our own. Hmm. And that is such a lonely place to be. And when, when I came on board with with Paul, mm-hmm. he treated me like a campus, uh, <laughs> like St. George, like a campus, even before we were. So I yeah. started in, in, in 2006. I went to, you know, me, Paul, Rod Jost. We, we went to Lake Tahoe. We had the, the annual pastor's there retreat. And so I, I was technically the, the third, you know, campus yeah. of, of South Mountain Community Church. And it, it just... I felt like I had family, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you're, you're, you're in this together. And, you know, to me, that's the beauty of a multi, a multi-site church. It's because right. we're, we guard against that idea, you know, oh, St. George or Draper or mothership, sure. you know, things like that. We are yeah. one church in multiple locations. Yeah. We, we lean on each other. We support one another. We pray for one another. We financially support right. one another. Yep. And, and I think that that partnership is just a, it's the secrets to success.
0: Yeah. I, I think I love that. And, you know, I've just seen that pour out from, um, from the people in St. George, Tom, you know, I, I can just see just the generosity, you know, if there are people listening to this, to this podcast that attend the St. George campus, I mean, the generosity that flows from that campus is, is truly amazing. Um, and it, and it benefits, um, so many people, um, across hundreds of miles, and uh, so if you're listening to this um, and you go to the St. George campus, I just want to say, you know, for me personally, thank you um, for that. It's uh, it's a joy and an honor to to serve with you guys, even if I don't get to see you guys, uh, you know, a, a lot, but um, it really is. So, um, and, and Tom, you know, if there's people listening who <clears throat> maybe picked up on the podcast um, that are in the St. George area, but haven't yet um, maybe attended the St. George campus yet, maybe they just heard of the church and they happen to, hear about the podcast and they're listening. I mean, what, what would you say to those people that are, maybe they're still on the fence about, about coming, coming to church and, and meeting you or, or checking it out?
1: What, what I, what I say directly to those people is, is, uh, I get your tension. I get that fear. It's a scary thing to go into a new world. Um, do it, just, just do it. The, the, there's no horns nobody's gonna bite you know you're, you're gonna be greeted as you walk in the door you're gonna be assisted all the way from the parking lot into the front door uh, if you like coffee we've got some great coffee down here from our local perks coffee shop they provide coffee for for the church uh, we got comfortable seating comfortable atmosphere great great music and and just just friendly opening mm-hmm. inviting so what you see is what you get there's no pretense down here there's no bait and switch uh, anywhere at SMCC, not just down here, yeah, yeah. but you're, you're going to walk in and you're probably going to be sitting there going, okay, at some point in time, something crazy is going to happen. The other shoe's going <laughs> to drop. That's not going to happen. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you're you're going to love it. And, and even, even if you decide it's not for you, uh, you're, you're still going to go away feeling like you were thoroughly, thoroughly, you know, welcomed. And, mm-hmm. and I just encourage you to step out and, and give it, give it a try. And, yeah. and if you're up north, Give it a try. Okay, yeah. Go to one of the campuses. Absolutely. Know,
0: check it out. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, it's just that 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 atmosphere that permeates each of our campuses. You know, we honor the process in which God changes people from the inside out, and um, you can belong before you le- uh, believe. And so you can be in any spot and say, hey, I just— I just, you, you could be a young Tom Mertz and say, hey, I, I, I've thought about faith. I've thought about God. I just don't know what where to go from here. And uh, you would be welcomed, and and you could walk away with something that's hopeful and helpful. So, we would want that for you. Well, exactly. Tom, Tom, I'm I'm so excited we got this time together. Our our time is wrapping up here. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out and coming coming on the show, the podcast. Um, and I'm and I'm sure our, our listeners appreciate it as well. So, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, really appreciate all that you're doing, man.
1: All right, and thank you for inviting me to be on. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Tom. Listeners, just a reminder, uh, this is the end of our season four. Um, We'll be back on. We're not exactly quite sure when, but uh, we will be back with the season five. I've been talking with Pastor Eric about that and excited for that. And just a reminder right now, if you're doing it, if you're in, well, if you're not, if you're driving right now, don't do it. But if you're walking, if you're, uh, you know, on the treadmill or something, listen to this, go ahead, take 30 seconds, leave a review and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, That means a lot for us and it helps us to reach more people. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you again on the next season. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For
1: more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.